Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, August 3rd, 2017. I'm doing this uh, news and views very, very early on Thursday because we've had some sad news, as most of you know, in the alternative research community. I'll be getting back to that after a short little news story that I want to talk about that I found on RT. It was dated the 31st of July. This is concerning Congress recently passing and President Trump signing a new round of sanctions against Russia. And this has some dramatic repercussions. I will probably be blogging more, actually, uh, about this story in the coming week because there's some aspects of it, some feedback, some spill that we're seeing popping up all over the internet. So I probably will be blogging about this more extensively later in the week. But I wanted to draw your attention to this because the sanctions regime, I think now is fairly clear that there's a much bigger agenda. It's a very old agenda that I'll be talking about uh, toward the end of my remarks about this article. Uh, an old agenda that's been going on for a very, very long time, at least 100 years. So I uh, refer you to the RT article, and the title of the article is Berlin Calls for Retaliation Against Illegal U.S. Sanctions on Russia. And the article begins with a big picture uh, of the old Reichstag building in Berlin. And I want to draw your attention to the first five, and then the uh, a paragraph toward the end of the article it's very, very important that you hear this. Quote, new penalties against Moscow proposed by U.S. lawmakers violate international law and officials in Brussels should consider countermeasures, the German economy minister said on Monday. In other words, Germany is ordering Brussels to, to reconsider uh, or consider countermeasures. We all know who's in the driver's seat in the European Union. But let me continue, quote, we, go, we consider this as being against international law, plain and simple, unquote. Brigitte Ziprius told the Funke Medien Group, a newspaper chain, quote, of course, we don't want a trade war, but it is important the European Commission now looks into countermeasures, unquote, she added. According to the minister, quote, the Americans cannot punish German companies because they operate economically in another country, unquote. And that's the rub. The recent round of sanctions have been unilaterally enacted by the American Congress overwhelmingly. There were two uh, votes against this in the United States Senate uh, from Senator Bernie Sanders, the Democrat from Vermont, and Senator Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky. All right, those were the only two senators voting against this new package of sanctions. And listen very carefully, quote, last week, both chambers of the U.S. Congress decided to impose new sanctions against Russia over its Crimea reunification and alleged meddling in the U.S. elections. How many times do we have to hear that? The bill still has to be signed by U.S. President Donald Trump. And please remember, this article came out on the last day of July, so it's already been signed. This is the first time Washington has made a move against Moscow without European consent. Now, skipping several paragraphs here, 
quote, this is the German foreign minister, incidentally, Sigmar Gabriel, quote, we deem it absolutely unacceptable when a bill demands that Europeans give up on Russian gas so that they could sell American instead at a much higher price, unquote, Gabriel said, unquote. Now, folks, I, if you go back several years, I began to, to air this hypothesis years ago on, on my late friend George Ann Hughes's radio show, The Bite Show, and it's increasingly looking like this is the case. Um, the United States began to move, begin moving some of its bases in Western Europe into Eastern Europe at the request of the governments of Poland, Romania, and so on. But I rather suspect that the real aim here was not to move the borders of NATO closer to Russia, but base American troops, take them out of Western Europe, and get rid of that old uh, problem that many people in Western Europe resented, which was being constantly under an American military thumb, and moving them into Eastern Europe, into what, for all intents and purposes, is the old cordon sanitaire that Clemenceau and some of the other Western Allied leaders put into place after the Treaty of Versailles uh, around the eastern border of, of uh, then Germany to keep it hedged in. So in other words, I've always been viewing these moves as rather suspicious moves by the American military to position troops and military assets where they can interdict energy supplies between Russia and Western Europe and thereby keep Western Europe under our, our thumb. But by the same token, I've also been suspicious that the goal is also to start selling Western Europe much higher priced American energy, which of course now seems to be coming out. This is the conclusion that the German foreign minister has come to. So the sanctions looked at a certain way that Congress just passed, I think have as much to do with Western Europe as they have to do with Russia, all right? And this, this makes it one of the stupidest moves in terms of American foreign policy that we've seen in a long time, because I think the only rebound here is going to be further distance between Western Europe and the United States. We've already seen Germany making moves to beef up the Bundeswehr by by building in or networking in foreign units from, from other countries' military into the Bundeswehr command structure as part of its step on building a common European military. But let's go back even further. Back in the turn of the last century, there was, of course, the famous British politician Sir Halford Mackinder, and Mackinder formulated what has basically become the, so to speak, the axioms, the theorems, if you will, of British and then later American geopolitics, all right? It was Mackinder's geopolitics, in fact, that if you read George Orwell's 1984 with the, uh, with the struggle with, between Oceania and the large Asian bloc, that was basing his novel in essence on the geopolitical theorems or axioms of Mackinder. And Mackinder believed that the heartland, the Eurasian heartland, was the future power in the world. 
And the reason that he believed that, this is something that most people miss, and I want to bring this to your attention because we see precisely what he predicted a hundred years ago coming true and being pursued as a geopolitical economic objective by Russia and China and the members of the Shanghai Accords, otherwise known as the BRICS bloc, all right? The heartland was resource-rich, and he believed that whoever controlled Eastern Europe, including European Russia, would ultimately be the power that controlled that Eurasian heartland. The reason being is because that was the area that was necessary to possess if any sort of land-based trade was ever going to grow between the Orient, the Orient and Western Europe, all right? Now, the key for Mackinder's thinking was the development of two technologies which had hitherto prevented, the absence of it had prevented large-scale land-based trade based on control of the Eurasian landmass. Those two technologies were, of course, the airplane and the railroad. All right. And he believed that those technologies were changing the fundamental paradigm of geopolitics that had prevailed since the Renaissance when sea-based power became the way that global trade was conducted. And therefore, whoever possessed the largest navy, in effect, became the arbiter of the world's reserve currency and the arbiter of global trade. And of course, we know what happened. Portugal, then Spain, then France, and then finally, of course, the British Empire up to and including World War II and then afterward the United States. So in other words, he, saw, he foresaw the end of naval power and of naval powers as being the, the arbiters of world geopolitics and that there would be a move ultimately to land-based powers like Russia and China. Now, the key for him was Germany because what British geopolitics and what he feared was a link-up between the massive industrial base of Germany and all of those resources, which of course Germany lacked, that were found in Russia and in Asia. And this, I think, is still the game. The reason I've gone around all of this background for you is I think that this is still the game that they are apparently playing in London and Washington. Now, part of that game, Mackinder was part of a crowd within Great Britain, uh, one of many factions, certainly not the only faction of the British deep state working to pursue certain agendas, but he was part of a crowd that included people like uh, Alfred Milner, Lord Milner, uh, Lord Salisbury, the Salisbury Group, uh, Milner's Kitchen, as sometimes this cabal is called. This cabal also included Cecil Rhodes. Their ultimate aim was to dominate the globe, to continue to dominate the globe, and reincorporate somehow the United States into a relationship with the British Commonwealth. Well, again, what convinces me that this is still the game that's being played, they don't know any other game <laughs> in London and Washington. This is still the game being played because recall after the Brexit vote, when Britain voted to pull out of the European Union, 
I predicted, and it happened much faster than I thought it would, I predicted that one of the things that the British would do is reinvigorate the British Commonwealth as a soft power, culture power card in global geopolitics. And sure enough, within a matter of weeks, they were, they were extending and voicing and toying with the idea of extending associate membership in the British Commonwealth to the United States. So all of these things now are beginning to add up, I think, to a rather clear picture. Uh, London and Washington are playing the same old geopolitical game. The problem is what they're doing is they're driving Europe into the hands of that Eurasian bloc. And folks, if you're playing the geopolitical realpolitik game, this is simply not a, a course of action, I think, in the long run that's going to work. Ultimately, I think you're going to see um, some pressure, some backfire on this from the European Union on the United States. As this article suggests, they are already thinking about countermeasures and Germany, there's been talk even in Germany of uh, uh, sanctions on the United States. So this is very, very interesting. Uh, if Europe does resort to sanctions, that is only going to increase their uh, openness to trade with Russia and China. Uh, they, will, they will easily move in and pick up whatever slack may result. So uh, I think this is a very, very bad move on President Trump's part, and not only for these reasons, but for reasons I hope to be able to blog about uh, sometime later this week. Now, as I said at the beginning of this, and I, I apologize to all of you for the length of these remarks this week, uh, but yesterday, and the reason, as I said when I started this uh, live broadcast, uh, the reason I'm doing it so early on Thursday is because yesterday we lost a very, very uh, important figure in this alternative research community. Uh, Jim Mars died yesterday, apparently, of a heart attack. Um, he had been ill for some time in the past few weeks. Um, I can't tell you... Uh, the loss I feel for several reasons. Uh, one of them is that Jim Mars was a researcher. He wasn't a whistleblower. He wasn't a storyteller. He was a researcher. And to his credit, he was unusual at the time he began writing his books. Many of you have read his books, I'm, I'm quite certain. But at the time that he began writing his works, and, and there's a lot of them out there, folks, on just about every subject you can think of, Jim Mars upheld what I, I would consider to be good journalistic practice and good academic practice. He cited his sources. His books are footnoted. They're footnoted, incidentally, in an old-fashioned way that lets you go out, find the book, and look up the very page number that something is, is found on. And he didn't clutter up his main text in the book with these hideous modern American parenthetical uh, types of citation methods. Um, I always gave him high, very high marks for that because he was doing this really at a time that most researchers in this community didn't even know what a footnote was. So that's thing, uh, principle number one. I think he deserves very high marks for. The other thing about Jim that 
I really admired. He was always a gentleman. He was always happy. He was always courteous. He could disarm an argument, an opposing argument, by a one-liner that was both very humorous, but it also made you stop and think. He was he was a master at this. Uh, he he will be missed for several other reasons. There was no subject that he was afraid to touch. Uh, he touched a lot of us through Oliver Stone's film JFK when that came out several years ago. And of course, right at the front of JFK, it says that the two major sources that influenced, and, and to Oliver Stone's credit too, please note that he's citing his sources. Uh, he's, he used uh, Attorney General, or pardon me, District uh, Attorney Jim Garrison's book, and then he used Jim Mars's book on the JFK assassination called Crossfire, which if any of you have read that book, like everything else Jim Mars wrote, that book really is an encyclopedia, probably the encyclopedia, the one book if you want to read on the JFK assassination. Uh, that's it. He had a nose for details. If you've not familiarized himself yourself with his books, uh, he had a nose for details that he could uncover that very, very few people in this community did. And finally, I, I think he set the bar very high for the rest of us to to try to come up to. Uh, and again, he was he was a pioneer in this respect in this alternative research community. So, Jim, we're going to miss you, buddy. Um, all I can say is rest in peace, my friend, and uh, keep fighting the good fight uh, for us. Uh, going to miss you very, very much, and and I know the rest of us will as well. I also want to thank everybody again, once again, for all the articles you've sent me. Uh, the, some people have been asking me about the virtual uh, pipe organ crowdfund project that Catherine Fitz is going on. It is very, very close. I think within by my last uh, report that I got from them, which was earlier today, um, I think they're within about a couple hundred dollars of that being fully funded and finished. So I want to, again, big thank you to all of you who made donations for that. You've brought... Uh, a large part of music back into my life that I've been missing for a very, very long time. Uh, again, thank you to all of you who are sending articles. I, I'm just stunned, particularly this week, on the quality of articles that you've sent, and it's going to be very, very difficult to make some final decisions about what to blog about. And again, I want to remind all of you, you can listen to these uh, news and views and some of the other things on your iPads now. Please give us some good reviews if you uh, listen to us that way. We would appreciate that. Anyway, that's it for this week's news and views. Some sad news geopolitically and some very sad news for the alternative research community with, with the loss and death of Jim Mars. Anyway, I'll see you on the flip side, everybody. Bye-bye and God bless.